With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welp, that sucked. Um, did not see that coming. Uh, this is Rob Howe with Hawkeye Nation, the publisher of HawkeyeNation.com, back with another HN Mailbag podcast. And I'm referring to last night's Iowa-Purdue men's basketball game. Uh, just did not see that coming from the Hawkeyes. Uh, I thought the first meeting down in West Lafayette when Iowa lost 104-68, to senior night that Iowa would come out with a little bit more energy. But once again, Purdue was the team that played with more energy. I used effort, I think, in my story and my headlines, but I think energy is just as good a word and maybe a better word for what we saw last night in Purdue's 77-68 to win in Iowa City that really put a, a monkey wrench in Iowa's goal of being a top-four seed and getting the double buy at the Big Ten tournament. But you kind of just chalk it up to one of those nights and you move on and uh, you get ready for Illinois on Sunday uh, with still an opportunity to get a top four seed, albeit out of your hands now. So uh, without further ado, let's go into your questions and we will start on Twitter. Uh, As I mentioned last week, uh, I I took some questions last week on Twitter without the HN mail hashtag. And uh, late night last night at Carver, uh, I'm recording this on um, uh, Wednesday, March the 4th, a little before 11 a.m. Central Time uh, here in Iowa City. But, uh, yeah, it just makes it easier for me if you have the HN Mail hashtag on there. Uh, And that's what I'm going to read off today. So if I didn't get to you, that's probably why, because I'm skipping from Twitter to our message boards, three different message boards, recruiting, football, basketball, and uh, just for organizational purposes and just easier to uh, to kind of keep these things together rather than me search my uh, notifications to, to find a question that doesn't have that hashtag. So uh, I apologize if I didn't get to your question, but that's probably the reason why. And if you could use that in the future, it would be much appreciated. Um, and our first question comes from an old friend and longtime Hawkeye Nation contributor, Brian Finley. Uh, unfortunately he does not contribute as much as he used to because he has a family and a life at this point and isn't in college anymore, but, uh, still helps us out. He shot the Iowa state football game, uh, shot photos of the Iowa state football game for us this year. And, uh, always nice to have him around, but his question is long time. First time, uh, that's reference to radio, uh, questions, (laughs) 
When looking at the top four sports at Iowa, football, men's basketball, women's basketball, and wrestling, shame on you for leaving baseball out. Uh, and I know you're a baseball fan, but I get it. Those are the, the four, I guess, uh, most followed sports, recognizable sports. But I will say that, uh, that baseball is on the upswing and, and big win for Rick Heller yesterday, number 900 in his career. Uh, the Hawkeyes drubbed. Uh, Grandview at home at, at uh, Banks Field in the season opener, home season opener. So good start for Iowa, a couple wins over ranked teams last week, but uh, we'll get into more baseball as the spring moves along. Uh, so Brian says, is this shaping up as the best year in the last 20, 30, I'm assuming years or longer? Uh, I was having to do a little bit of research on this, which uh, sometimes you guys make me work with these questions. I think we're going to go back to 1990, Brian, um, and that would be the the 1990-91 school year. Uh, and basically, I just went back and looked at when Iowa football won Big Ten championships because we, we talked about those four major or the four main sports in Iowa. Football is the sport; it's the front porch. So I, I think you need to win a conference championship to be considered and and the landscape has changed a little bit with divisions in football now and obviously this was a really nice season for Iowa football going 10 and 3 and winning in the holiday bowl uh but not a big 10 championship not a you know a a new year six bowl so um I would say 1990 Iowa won uh you know won the bid to the Rose Bowl in 1990 under coach Hayden Fry um and that season uh just in looking it up um Wrestling did not win a national championship that year, or actually they did. I, Iowa won the uh, the Big Ten and national championship in 1991. Um, I guess so that would have been the 89 season and the 90 Rose Bowl. So I am going to say the 89-90 season, um, but it's in that area. I, I would say it's probably that year. Uh, wrestling was just solid back then altogether. Uh, won, they won the Big Ten in 89, 90, 91, 92, 93, 94, 95, 96. So in that area, it's easier to pick up wrestling. Uh, men's basketball in the uh, – the see, I was looking at the 90, 91 season. Uh, but the 1990 men's basketball season, let me go back and look at that now. Let's go for 89, 90 men's basketball, uh, being as that was the 89 football season. Uh, let's see, women's basketball. Let's look. Women's basketball. Pew, 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 pew. Yeah, I kind of messed that up because I was thinking I got my 90 Rose Bowl, 89 season, or maybe that was the 90 season. Uh, let me look. I think I had that right. Yes, it was the 1990 season, the 90 Rose Bowl. So um, it would have been the 91. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm messed up on this, Brian. I apologize. I haven't had enough coffee this morning. But I would say 85 or 90. Uh, if people want to correct me on that, that's fine. And I, and I think that the hardest thing about this is just that the landscape has changed. And women's basketball was obviously really good under C. Vivian Stringer back in the the late eighties, early nineties, but the landscape has just changed now in terms of what the measuring sticks are. 
Uh, I mentioned football being split divisions now and unbalanced, more unbalanced schedules and more teams in the league. Um, but it's been a while. I, I think it's safe to say that, uh, you know, I think 30 years minimum uh, It's since uh, we've kind of been at this height. And let's see how this season plays out, too. Uh, the women uh, did not win a Big Ten championship. The men's basketball team will not win a Big Ten championship. The football team did not win a Big Ten championship. So while this is a really good time for Iowa athletics, we're still not talking championships. And the Iowa uh, wrestling team did win the the dual regular season championship this year, but they still have not won the Big Ten championship this year. So that'll give me some more time to kind of research this and see how things go. But uh, I would say it's been a while since we've been at a position where – it's, you know, four teams competing for championships. And I think you could say that about all, all four teams. And obviously the 10 win seasons for Iowa football are, are not common. So that was, uh, that was a, uh, a season to remember for sure. And then finishing at the holiday bowl is with a win over USC is obviously nice. Um, Cubman, uh, Andrew Pa, um, frequent reacher out to me reacher out is that a word uh hyphenated maybe on twitter is it fair to say that purdue has iowa's number what is matt painter doing to completely stymie the hawkeye game plan well first of all he's a really good coach with a really long track record of being successful in this league and he's had really good players Uh, i think that was four in a row for purdue over iowa um, and it's a bit of an outlier this year just because Iowa hasn't played poorly for most of the season. There have been, I think you can probably point to maybe three games where Iowa's laid an egg. And I would put last night in there. Uh, that was just considering what was at stake and how Iowa fell behind by 21 points in the first half at home on senior night against the team that embarrassed you earlier in the season. Uh, with a lack of energy and effort and Purdue playing with more of that. I, I would, I guess maybe not a lack on Iowa's port, part, but just Purdue playing with more energy and effort. Um, it's just one of those nights where you, you don't feel good about yourself. And I know in talking to the players after the game, they did not. Um, uh, schematically, Purdue just does a nice job of putting Iowa in difficult situations. And, I'll just take last night because my memory's not great and I can't think of if there's just been a, uh, you know, an, uh, a continuous theme on what Purdue's done. But this year they've been played with more effort and energy. I, I think that's a huge part when you're talking about 21 offensive rebounds last night, um, outscoring Iowa 25 to 10 in transition or points off turnovers. Uh, those are things you just can't do. And, and Luca Garza said after the game that, you know, the, that's what they talked about going into the game. And, and him being disappointed, disappointed in Iowa not carrying out the game plan, knowing that, and, and in Luca's words, the way Purdue could win that game is rebounding and taking advantage of Iowa's turnovers. And Iowa knew that going in and still failed to do what it was supposed to do going into the game in terms of a plan perspective. And uh, I, that's the one thing that Iowa's been good at this year is carrying out the game plan. And I think we saw that last night with Fran's frustrations with his team. Uh, he just couldn't push, you know, just couldn't push the right buttons last night. And it happens. Let's see how Iowa bounces back. I, I, I think, and it's a fair question, Andy. Um, you know, Iowa hasn't played well against Purdue. So obviously you're looking for an underlying factor there. I would say more 
you know, more of an over overarching reaching reason is Purdue's usually pretty good. It's got good players and painters a really good coach. And, uh, you know, last night they they figured that Garza was going to get his. The, the goal was to stop Wieskamp and Frederick, and they were able to do that, and thus they got a big win on the road. Uh, we've got Kyle Bolin uh, on Twitter. Kyle asks, will this be the best NFL draft for Iowa under Kirk Ferentz? You know, I don't know. Last year Iowa had the eighth pick in Hawkinson and then the 20th pick, I believe, in Fant. And we're probably looking at similar in the first round. Um, I would have to look. Let me look up Iowa's um, draft. It's going to be right up there. I mean, Iowa's in a nice spot right now uh, in terms of, you know, getting multiple guys in the first round and then getting some depth, um, you know, in terms of getting guys drafted. Let me go back here. Kirk. So this would be the second time he would have had two first round picks in the same draft. I am not of the belief that AJ Epinesa's combine knocked him out of the first round. I still still think he'll be a uh, a top, probably go somewhere in the fifteen to twenty five range. Uh, if he goes, you know. 20 or above that would matter. And, and Tristan goes in the top 10. If Tristan goes ahead of Hawkinson, I think you could measure it that way. And then I will also had two first round or two, excuse me, fourth round picks last year. So four guys taken in the top four rounds last year. I don't know that they're going to match that this year. Um, I think Ojemudia helped himself and can get into that probably third and fourth round. Uh, I don't know about Stanley. You know, we didn't think Bethard would go uh, in the third round, but San Francisco liked him. So if there's one team that falls in love with Stanley, uh, I could see him going on there. But I think last year's probably the uh, the high watermark. You look at 2011, and Iowa had, let's see, Claiborne went in the first round, Ballard in the fourth round, Stanzi, Carl Klug, and Vandervelde went in round five. And then Tyler Sash went in round six. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six guys drafted. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six guys drafted in 2010. Uh, and and five of those went in the top four rounds. Uh, Bulaga won, Anger in the second, Spave and Moyaki in the third, and A.J. Eads in the fourth. And then the late Kyle Callaway, may he rest in peace, went in the seventh round of that draft. Uh, so that you're looking at numbers there uh, just in terms of volume and then how high guys went. So looking at last year and then probably 2011, 2010, uh, you know, in terms of the volume of guys drafted, but this certainly would be up there and, and uh, certainly the, you know, a draft that will be a nice advertisement for uh, Iowa uh, the night of the draft or I guess the nights of the draft uh, DC Hawk, DC Hawk underscore, or DC underscore Hawk six on Twitter. I don't want to overreact to one game, but Purdue loss seems troubling late in the season at home over a team who probably isn't going to make the tournament. If the Hawks end up underperforming the tournament, what might be the culprit? Um, yeah, I guess there are a lot of things. I think for Iowa right now, it just needs to get back to um, 
you know, even if it doesn't win Sunday and finishes 11 and nine in the big 10, a really tough big 10 this season with the amount of quad one wins and wins over top 25, um, pretty good record on the road. Uh, overall, I should say, you know, with wins at Syracuse, I know Iowa state's not having a good season, but still a tough place to win. Um, you know, and getting the win at Minnesota. They've got some decent wins on the road. It's not like they're void of any road wins. Um, and then, you know, I, I still think you need to go. If you play on Thursday at the Big Ten tournament, you need to at least win that game. Get to Friday. If you can win Friday, get to the semifinals, then the Purdue win- loss goes right out the window. Um, I, I this team looked last night like it hit the wall a little bit, just being tired. Uh, it played Saturday. I think Purdue had been off from since Thursday, so a couple more days rest for Purdue. Uh, and it looked like it last night. Uh, so I think Iowa just needs to get some energy back. It lacked energy, and it can't, it's not good enough to play without energy. So if I'm looking for a culprit, it's that. you just get, This team has to play – with a lot of energy and effort, and it didn't do that last night. You can't give up 21 rebounds and get outscored 25 to 10 in, in uh, on points off turnovers and expect to win. I don't care if you're playing on the you know on the road at home or on the moon. Uh, they need to be. They just need to play better. Uh, seems kind of simplistic, but uh, that would be uh, my uh, feedback on that. DC, I, I'm not discouraged because I've seen this team lose and bounce back before this season. I think it's got the right mental makeup and the right grit to, to bounce back from this. And I expect them to play well Sunday at Illinois. If they don't, then maybe we have to dig into this a little bit farther. Uh, Brian Patterson, Patty Bry at Patty Bry on Twitter. I feel like college basketball needs Kirk Ferentz simply so refs don't have to interpret so much. Iowa did not lose because of the refs. refs. Excuse me. Take a drink here. Versus PU, Purdue, but the first half was marred by allowing PU to be physical. PU has lost games because refs have called it tighter. I would agree with that. Purdue is a physical team, but, you know, last week at Michigan State was really physical, um, but it was physical against Penn State on Saturday, and Iowa overcame that, and and you know that going in. It's just the officials, these teams play so much clutch, grab, defense, um, and Iowa does it too. I, I'm, Iowa, I'm not going to say Iowa doesn't do that. You have to play that way in the Big Ten, and we'll see. I'll be interesting to see, interested to see how it's called in Indianapolis at the tournament, and then Iowa going into the NCAA tournament. How Iowa adjusts to that because you got to figure it's probably not going to be called as loosely as it has been in the Big Ten, and Iowa that could help Iowa in that. It's going to free guys like Frederick and Wies Camp up, but also could hurt Iowa in that it's used to playing physical and maybe getting a couple touch fouls that it's not used to. So something to keep an eye on down the road. Uh, yeah, I mean, if that game's called tighter last night, Iowa probably has a better chance to win. But again, um, I, the, the officials – and you said that you're not, you're not insinuating that Iowa – that the officials or the referees cost Iowa the game – Iowa just wasn't quick enough. It wasn't quick enough to the ball. It gave up positioning positioning for rebounds, allowing uh, Purdue to get to the offensive. 21 offensive rebounds is just obscene. You cannot do that. And, yeah, it was physical, but you got to be tougher than that. And that just – that can't happen. So – 
kind of, I get where you're coming from on that, Brian. Uh, you know, had the game been refereed differently, maybe it helps Iowa. But uh, I didn't think that the, the officiating was egregious one way or the other. I thought it was pretty balanced. It's just, it's the way it's gone in the Big Ten this year. They're letting them play. Uh, Mark G, uh, MRK1, MRKE1 at MRK1 on Twitter. Uh, he's got a Yoda avatar, which is kind of cool. I'm going to click on that, Mark, just to kind of see. I thought he may have been wearing a, a Hawkeye sweatshirt. That would be cool. Uh, and Mark asks, I feel that last night's loss is bigger than people realize because it effectively kills Garza's National Player of the Year and Fran's Big Ten Coach of the Year chances. What do you think? Yes. I think both of those things took a hit. Garza will still be the Big Ten Player of the Year. But uh, we went into this week not knowing. I, I thought the the Big Ten Coach of the Year race was still very wide open, and I think a lot of guys that vote in this, I do not. I vote. Uh, I vote vote for the um, the the Basketball Writers of America, and I put a vote in uh, last last week. Uh, or no, earlier this week, uh, voted for Garza as National Player of the Year, and then Fran as the Regional Coach of the Year. And our region includes. Um, Missouri, Kansas, the Dakotas, um, Iowa. Uh, I think that's it. I could be missing a state, but um, I voted for Fran as the regional coach of the year. That was before last night's game, and I don't think – I'm not sure Fran was the reason uh, that Iowa lost that game last night. I, I'm not sure he was outcoached. Uh, his team just didn't play well and uh, didn't play with the energy it needed to play. Yeah, part of that is the coach, but he tried. He, uh, you know, he took some timeouts and got into them early, and it just didn't work. Purdue was, Purdue was uh, possessed, so to speak, to win that game, and that was a must-win for Purdue to, to, you know, to keep itself on the bubble, and it, it was able to do that. But, um, yeah, I think it hurts their chances, Mark, uh, but I don't think it does them in by any means. Garza comes back and plays a big game on the road, uh, at Illinois on Sunday, uh, still gives himself a, a real good chance at that award. Um, and I think the smart voters understand that, you know, he is the marked man on Iowa and he's still getting 26 and 12 like he did last night. So, uh, so I would agree. I would agree that it hurt their chances last night, but it hurt their seeding chances. It hurt, you know, uh, you know, momentum going into the end of the season. It hurt a lot of things. It was a, it was not a good night and it was not a good loss. Um, I will say that Garza was asked after the game um, and he became the first Iowa player to score 700 or more points in the season. He broke uh, John Johnson's record from 1970, I believe, or 71 of 699 points. Uh, Luca now has 714. He was asked about that after the game, and I thought Luca handled it really well, and I don't think it was contrived at all. He said, hey, you know, the, the, in the future, down the road, I'll look back at this and realize how, how nice of an achievement it was, but tonight I do not care. And that's Luca. He, he plays to win. Uh, there's nobody that was more frustrated by what happened last night than Luca, because uh, he plays with max effort and energy, uh, but it didn't matter last night. He he was part of the reason that Iowa gave up 21 offensive rebounds, and uh, it stuck with him, and it stung. And you could tell it from looking at him. And that I could kind of see that on on all of the guys' faces that came into the post game. It was Creener, Wieskamp, and uh, and Luca. 
and they were all pissed off, and that's a good sign. That's a good sign that they'll get back to practice this week uh, and, and figure out, look at film, figure out what went wrong last night, and hopefully fix it going into Illinois and into the Big Ten tournament and beyond. Uh, that'll do it for Twitter questions this week. So let's scoot over to the Hawkeye Nation message boards. Uh, let's start with let's start with basketball, if I can find that, being as we're on the basketball track right now. Uh, PC Hawk, I'm curious about the play that reviewed and called a foul on Joe T. Do you know the refs? I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, this is from the Penn State game. The refs were right on that one. They can review that and go back and look at it. Um, I did not get an explanation. I did not ask Fran about it. I think that was a play where uh, the the call was changed to a foul on Joe T, and they were looking at it as a potential um, flagrant on the Penn State player for swinging an elbow. They ruled that that was not a flagrant, and then they just stuck with the call on Joe T. As far as I remember, I could be off on that. Uh, Mopkins. Looks like, doubt you can answer this, but Iowa currently isn't assigned to any preseason basketball tournament next season. Most of the main ones are booked. Maui, Battle for Atlantis, NIT tip-off, etc. Any idea if Iowa is booked to play? I do not know if they are booked to play in a postseason tournament yet, Mopkins, uh, but they will, or a preseason, excuse me, but they will. They won't give up a a non-exempt tournament. Uh, at the beginning of the season. So they'll play somewhere. Um, and there there are more than the ones that you mentioned. They are the main ones, Maui and, and Battle for Atlantis in particular, and then the NIT. But uh, we'll kind of have to see where Iowa ends up in that. There are some other preseason events that, uh, that will get Iowa some nice competition. Um, looks like Dirt Rap is answering the question that was asked by PC on the foul. Uh, so if you want to read his, he looked at, he looks like he looked it up on the, in the rule book. So if folks would like to, to gander at that, if you had any questions about that foul on, uh, Toussaint from the Penn state game, you can check that out on our message boards. Uh, gets in with any recruit interviews forthcoming with any of the incoming basketball recruits. Probably going to wait till after the season on those, Motiba, um, just because they're kind of getting into their playoffs now. So I'll wait till after the season and maybe catch up and do um, do, do maybe a, a prospect podcast with those guys moving forward. Um, Garza, this is again from Motobasan. Garza is setting or closing in on several Iowa basketball records, but where does he rate in Big Ten overall records, especially the scoring of 20-plus points games in a row? Uh, thoughts on we? Uh, let me answer that first one, and then we'll get into the, the Wieskamp aspect of this question or part of this question. Um, I am not sure where he ranks in terms of the Big Ten. Uh, I usually rely on Matt Weissel from Sports Information to research that 
those things for us. And I don't know as he's gotten to the point where uh, he has researched uh, where he matches up. I do know that Scott Docterman from The Athletic, good friend of mine, did research that uh, Luca's average of 26-plus points in Big Ten play this year is the most since Glenn Big Dog Robinson in 1994, I believe it is. And then um, he also looked up and, and uh, researched where it matched up in terms of centers in the Big Ten in terms of points per game. And I think Scott said it's been something like 50 years since a center's averaged that many points in the Big Ten. So, yeah, some some pretty heavy stuff. Um, and I'm looking at, at uh, the notes from Matt Weitzel from uh, Luca Garza scored 20-plus points, 15 straight games. Breaking the school's 49-year record. The, the, so he had in his notes that the 14-game streak before last night when, when Luca got to 15 games uh, was the most by any Big Ten player over the last 20 years. Uh, so I'm not sure where 15 ranks in that. I'll, I will try to get you the answer to that either in next week's mailbag pod or I'll post it on the message board once the notes for the Illinois game come, come out and maybe Matt will research that. So, uh, yeah, so it's been at least 20 years for the 20-plus point games and 14 straight, and uh, now he's at 15 straight. So, yeah, some uh, some historical uh, – benchmarks that uh that Luca is reaching this year. Uh Motobasan, uh this is from yesterday before the game. Thoughts on Wieskamp, time to sit him and bring him off the bench. I just don't think you can afford to do that. Joe rebounds well. I think he had seven rebounds last night. He plays good defense. Uh you can't have him off the floor and bring him off the bench. I, I know there's frustration there from the fan base. I know there's more frustration from Joe uh, Fran talked last night about Joe being more aggressive and, but, uh, I, I, when we interviewed Joe on Friday before the Penn state game, I asked him, uh, if he was, if he was pressing, if he was putting pressure on himself and he felt like he was, and you could tell, uh, that was before CJ Frederick came back that Joe just looks like he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. And I, you know, it's easy to say, Hey, just play, have fun, do what you do, but it's hard sometimes. These guys are playing at a, you know, at a really high level and opponents are being very physical with Joe. And uh, as we talked about earlier in the podcast, it's being allowed in the Big Ten this season. There is no freedom of movement. Um, but I think Joe can counter that by just shooting. And he only took seven shots against Purdue. Fran made a note of that after the game and made a point of you know, pointed that out after the game saying they got to get him more shots. He's got to get more shots. He's got to, sometimes you have to force the issue. He's a good enough player. He's a good enough offensive player that if he forces a shot, and it doesn't go in. So be it. Um, you know, I'm going to say, and this is not a knock on any of these other guys that are on the team, but I would rather see Joe Wieskamp force a shot than some of the other guys taking open shots. And that's not, again, that's not a knock on them. And these other guys have hit shots in the flow of the offense, but Joe is too important. He's got to force the issue. Take it to the basket. Force them to call fouls. 
um, post up a little bit more. And, and that's hard. I, and I've heard people say, hey, Joe needs to post up. Well, Luca's down there. And Luca's, Luca, especially when Luca and Ryan Creed are in the game, you've got two post guys on the blocks taking up space. It's hard for a third guy to get in there. Uh, but maybe Fran finds some ways to pull Luca and Creener away from the basket. Both guys are threats from the outside and post Joe up more. Uh, on the low block, mid, mid, you know, midway up the lane, some different, move him around a little bit and get him open for some more shots. Uh, and then when, when Joe has those shots, he can't hesitate. He's got to keep shooting. So thank you for the questions from the HN message board on basketball. Let's flip over to football. Do you, th- uh, this is from Nike Hawk 21. Do you think Nick Neiman will move inside to get more playing time with Iowa continuing to use four two five? Um, I could see Nick being kind of a Swiss army knife and being able to move him around a little bit between the Leo uh, when Iowa is four, three, and then maybe in the middle uh, when they're four, two, five, they, they were pretty married. And they being the defensive coaches were pretty married to using whatever defense. And I, and I like this, that, they used the defense that uh, best matched up with the offense they were playing, such as they used less four two five against Wisconsin and used it more against Northwestern and Minnesota, uh, USC, teams that are going to try to spread you out. So it'll depend on the opponent. Um, you know, I don't think Iowa used a lot of four two five against Iowa State last year, if I remember correctly. So it's going to – depend on matchups. I think we're going to know more about that Nike in the spring when we see, uh, you know, who fills that strong safety spot left open by Geno Stone's departure. Um, and then obviously how steps, how, how, how much progress is made by guys like Jack Campbell uh, and Dylan Doyle at linebacker. So a lot to be played out there, but yes, I could see a move inside for Nick Neiman and putting him in the middle uh, with um, Jaimon Colbert at the will uh, in that four-two-five, I would not be surprised at all to see that. And then the second question from Nike is, would you agree with the statement that Goodson and Sargent aren't great complements in the backfield? Uh, in my opinion, both excel in sort of the third down type back role, receiving and blitz pickup, and Goodson obviously a little more burst as a true runner. Does that give an opportunity for a guy like Shad Bird to maybe carve out a role? It's more of a hammer type running behind Goodson. I still think Sargent is going to get his run, um, and he did this year when Goodson needed a breather, and I think that's how they'll use them more than a – uh, so to speak, um, you know, thunder and lightning, however you want, whatever cliche you want to use to, uh, as a complimentary backfield, big back, small back, bigger back, smaller back, um, like a torn young coming in. But, um, I, I thought that they used Goodson and Sargent together, just more giving Goodson a little bit more of, you know, a series off here and there, lessen the wear and tear on him. I think, and that's just, this is more me speculating on how I think they'll go into the spring looking at this. Um, and and makai has gotten better at blitz pickup, and you hope that Goodson gets better at that uh, moving forward. Shad Bird is not a big back. He's, he's, 
he's kind of in the mold of Sargent. He reminds me a little bit of him. Uh, I'm not, I don't have their uh, their heights and weights in front of me. I wouldn't consider him a Torin Young type back. Uh, I think you get that more from uh, from maybe one of the Williams freshmen that are coming in. I think those guys are a little bit more uh, have the hammer. So I would not be surprised, Nike, to see one of those freshmen kind of break through, particularly um, Gavin Williams from West Des Moines Dowling, who's who came in in January uh, at semester to go through spring ball. I could see him being used as more uh, in a power back role, but I. Makai runs pretty hard between the tackles. So I think it's just going to be more of a, a group think again with this and at least two backs, possibly three backs again. Uh, and it'll be come down. And I, you know, Shad Bird impressed Kirk Ferentz last spring. He came in early. So this is his second spring ball. Be interesting to see how that plays out. But uh, you don't have the Torin Young back in your stable now. But uh, I would think that Gavin Williams is more like that than, than some of the other guys. Uh, Moda Bassan checking in on the football. Is there a chance the Hawks add a transfer from the portal to add depth on the D-line or secondary? Uh, I don't think they really need it as much in the secondary. They're pretty deep there, although inexperienced at some spots. D-line, yeah, Jovan Swan from Indianapolis who who played uh, at Stanford. Uh, it would be a grad transfer and could play this year. He's a guy I, I've mentioned on this podcast or other podcasts that I've reached out to. He is not doing interviews right now, uh, but he is a guy that Iowa uh, did very well with in, when he was coming out of high school, um, and he liked Iowa a lot but ended up picking Stanford. Uh, but I could see him as a guy that would fit here. Uh, Kelvin Bell has a really good relationship with him, so he's an, he's a guy to keep a – keep an eye on and and this is a fluid situation too we've seen guys added by Iowa you know later in the process you get these guys that are going through spring ball now at their respective schools maybe on course to graduate in May go through spring ball hey I don't fit here hey I want something else whatever the case may be so I would keep an eye on post spring as well as as a potential timetable for um for you know looking back into the portal and maybe hearing some names pop up. Uh, are we there yet? Uh, a lot of the team leadership has graduated this year. Who are the leadership guys carrying over from last year? Where are the holes that need someone to step up? Which guys are positioned to assert themselves in leadership roles? I think you look at, uh, I think you look at the receiver group, uh, you know, Spencer Peters is the quarterback, so he's going to have a certain degree of leadership. Uh, I think you look on the offensive line with Alaric Jackson, Tyler Linderbaum. Uh, I think you look at the receiver spot with Amir, who's really a, as good as he is an athlete, he's kind of a glue guy. He's a guy that other players gravitate towards and, and like to be around and will listen to. Brandon Smith's a little more quiet, so I don't know if you're going to get that out of him as much. Um, Tyrone Tracy and um, Nico Regani are a little bit younger still, so I would look to those guys. Sean Byer at tight end is a leadership type guy, tough kid uh, who's been through the program now, fifth year senior. So those are the guys I would look to kind of on the offensive side of the ball. I think Kyler Schott might try to might be that guy. Mark Kallenberger, uh, Akoi Kronk coming in as a graduate transfer. A lot of experience on offense for guys to step in there. Defensively, I, I would definitely look at, at, at Chauncey Golston. 
I think he's ready for that role. He's kind of been waiting for that role uh, to, to emerge. Um, you look at a guy, um, oh, God, he always is. Uh, Austin Schulte, excuse me, from Pella, will be a fifth-year senior at defensive tackle. Uh, he's been through a lot injury-wise. I think he's a guy that could step in and, and be that guy. Uh, Nick Neiman, a guy we mentioned earlier. Uh, Jaimon Colbert, I think, in that second level. Uh, can be guys that that can step up. Barrington Wade even is a guy that's been around for a while that could be a leadership. Matt Hankins in the secondary, uh, you know, I, I think has been around enough and been through the wars enough now to, to 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 take on a leadership role on defense as well. I would say that defensively, you're probably searching for a few more guys than you are offensively because the offensive side of the ball. Uh, is uh, a little bit uh, has a little bit more game experience and guys that have been through it a little bit more and learned from previous leaders on the team. Uh, let's see. And that's it. I think we hit all the questions. If I missed anybody again on Twitter, it was because you did not use the HN mail tag. And I apologize for being a stickler for that. Uh, but it just keeps you from having to, to hunt down. Um, let's see if any. Uh, I don't know why I missed this one. I missed a few Twitters. I, I apologize for that. I missed uh, Jake Markham, uh, Jake Markham, 1337 on Twitter. Uh, this Iowa team has been fun to watch. One to watch. Do you think they have a realistic shot at winning the big 10 tournament? How far can they go in the NCAA tournament? Purdue games stunk, but I still love this team. Yeah, I agree with you. This has been a great year, uh, exceeded expectations. And uh, I do think they can win the Big Ten tournament. I think there's probably, I don't know if I would say 12 teams, but I would probably say eight teams that probably could. And, uh, you know, put Purdue and Indiana teams that, uh, you know, Iowa's lost to. Uh, who knows? They get on a run. Those are the home teams. They're they're playing in Indianapolis, so maybe I would go ten deep. But if Iowa can get on, it'd be great to get the double by with the you know the short bench. Uh, but Iowa's talented enough to win the Big Ten tournament. There are no there are no killer teams in this conference. That said, Michigan State surprise surprise and Tom Izzo seem to be hitting their stride right now, winning at Purdue and Penn State uh, the last two times out. So yeah. Uh, Michigan State, I would make the favorite going into that thing, uh, but it is a as wide open as any Big Ten tournament that I can remember, and my memory is not great. So, thanks for the question, Jake. Uh, Tyler Anderson, Ty Anderson twenty at Ty Anderson twenty one on Twitter. Glad I got this in because uh, I didn't want to miss anybody's questions, especially if they use the the hashtag, because then I would have looked like a fool asking people to use that and then not answering the questions. <laughs> Uh, but Tyler Anderson asked, I know it's easy to get caught up in the bad losses, but does, but it does leave one to wonder how does this happen to Paul, Nebraska, Purdue twice. It just seemed like Iowa was going through the motions and not prepared at all. How do you explain the low lows of this season? I think Tyler, if you go through everybody's schedule, um, you're going to see games like this. I'm not sure. I, and I, I don't have schedules in front of me, so I don't know to what degree other teams have suffered loss. The Nebraska loss was just terrible. Frederick was out, but Nebraska's terrible. Um, but Iowa shot whatever it was, four for 30 or something from, 
four for 33 from three, but it's just, you know, a really just outlier aberration of a game shooting the, the basketball. And that's what did them in that night. And Nebraska just used, you know, the, uh, a game plan of just throwing four people at Garza and letting everybody else shoot. And on that night at work, DePaul got hot shooting the basketball and was playing really well at that time. So Iowa caught them at a bad time. Uh, I would, Iowa would beat them now, I think. And then Purdue, as we talked about earlier in this podcast, I thought the biggest difference in these two Purdue games was that um, Purdue played with more energy. And you can say effort as well. Luca Garza said that last night, that it was effort. And he was disappointed in Iowa's effort. And that, I think, energy, effort kind of tie or go hand in hand and and are tied together. And for whatever reason, Purdue played with more of it uh, in the two meetings this year. And it's, I I don't have an expo. I wish I could explain why. I'm sure the players wish they could explain why. But uh, just sometimes, and Matt Painter said this last night, sometimes you catch teams on the right night and, or you catch teams on the wrong night if you're Iowa. And they caught Purdue twice on the wrong nights where Purdue really was locked in and played with a lot of energy. So let's hope that that's out of Iowa's system going forward here and we don't see any more games like that again. And um, for the most part, Iowa's played really well this year with a lot of energy and effort. And uh, I don't think that will be uh, – I hope that's not an issue moving forward. You never say it won't be, but you have to hope that it won't be. So – Glad I looked back at Twitter to get those last two questions. Uh, but that'll wrap it up. Uh, not sure how long this one ran, but it seemed like a good group of questions. Again, I appreciate, appreciate everybody reaching out with their questions. And uh, hopefully I answered them sufficiently. Oh, man. I thought I was done, but I didn't finish. I forgot I posted on our recruiting message board that uh, some recruiting questions. So didn't want to leave those guys hanging. Just when you thought it was over, we're going to go for a couple more questions here. Uh, Denver Hawk one, I guess since no one else has jumped in yet, I will. What's the latest with the bowlers and the tight end kid from Western Iowa, TJ bowlers, defensive end slash linebacker from clear Creek, Amana and Tiffin. Uh, I believe the ship has sailed there, Denver. Uh, we've talked about this uh, on the podcast on and uh, I've written about this too and talked about it on on the big hour on KGYM radio. It just didn't work out between the two parties, and it seems like they've mutually agreed to go their separate ways. Could be fact. Just could, you know, you've heard positional uh, bowlers wanting to play linebacker. Iowa wanting to be a defensive end. I've talked to TJ about that. He said that's not the deal breaker. Um, I really think, and I'll go back to this, uh, when Reese Morgan retired, he had a great relationship with TJ and his family, and Iowa just never seemed to regain that when, once Reese retired. And other programs had an established guy there with relationships to TJ and, uh, and built on those, and Iowa was almost playing catch-up, I think, a little bit. And, uh, and maybe TJ wants to get away. Maybe he wants to get a little well, – doesn't want to play in the fishbowl here. There are a lot of things that I think go into these these situations, but um, bottom line is it doesn't look like it's going to happen for TJ Bowlers uh, and the Iowa Hawkeyes. And the tight end kid from Western Iowa is Thomas Fedone. He is a tight end at Council Bluffs Lewis Central. Uh, Iowa is still in the mix with him, but I would say Iowa is probably on the outside looking in. 
he has an offer from Alabama and grew up a Nebraska fan. So I would be, I wouldn't be shocked. I'm never shocked in recruiting if he ended up at Iowa, but I would be a little bit surprised at this point. Um, I think, uh, I think he's probably favoring some other schools and then pooch spot. I don't know what that means. Is that a, uh, I don't even want to know what that means. Who's the next non-Iowa recruit to commit? Highest rated recruit you feel will pull the trigger for the good guys. By non-Iowa, I think he means non-Iowa high school recruits. Um, I like Skylar Bell. He's a wide receiver who played with um, – why is his name escaping me now? Devontae Vines in uh, – in at prep school out in Connecticut. Uh, he's a guy that I think is going to take a visit out here. Uh, pretty nice wide receiver, Joe Alt. I'm going to put him in there because he is a non Iowa kid. Uh, his dad is John Alt. So obviously there's a connection there, but, uh, he is an offensive lineman from Minnesota. Uh, I also like Iowa's chances with, um, an offensive lineman, uh, from, Blue Springs, Missouri, Bo Stevens. Uh, he's a pretty highly regarded kid from out of state, Arkansas, Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State have offered him. Uh, Louisville, Michigan, Minnesota, Missouri, Oklahoma State, Texas A&M, West Virginia. So solid offense. I think he likes Iowa. So Bo Stevens might be the guy that I would go with for this question. Uh, highest Highest regarded recruit, but I, I think Joe Alt has a ton of potential, so I would also put him in there. Kieran Montgomery, um, Indianapolis defensive end, I think I, likes Iowa quite a bit. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I would probably stick with them. I don't want to cast this net too wide. I think that's a good group of uh, prospects that I think Iowa is in good position with from out of state. Um, so. There you go on that. Glad I remembered to get those questions in here before signing off. But signing off, I will do for another Hawkeye Nation mailbag podcast. Uh, This is Rob Howe, publisher of Hawkeye Nation. And I will talk to you guys again next Wednesday as I prepare to head to Indianapolis for the Big Ten tournament. I'll try to squeeze in a mailbag before heading out for that. So we'll see how things go on Sunday in Champaign. So we'll have plenty of talk plenty to talk about next week we've got uh big 10 wrestling this weekend at rutgers and women's basketball will be heading to indianapolis it did earn the double buy as the three seed and will play on friday evening so with that i will sign off thanks again for all of your questions and we will talk to you again soon